The reading is verses 15 to 26 of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, uh, followed by verses 12 to 15 of chapter 16. It's on page 1082 of the Pew Bible. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And, sorry, that's, did I do that wrong? Sorry. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, do keep um, John chapter 14 open in front of you as we look at it together. Let's just take a moment to, to pray, shall we? Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And we pray now as we look at your word together. We pray, Father, that your spirit would come and work in our hearts, bringing it alive to us, that it would affect us and change us um, to be the people you've called us to be. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, we've come to the end of a, a series on, on, on the Bible, and I want to draw the threads together um, about really about the, uh, the interplay and the connection between word and spirit. Um, to do this, I'm going to talk initially a little bit about the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and who, who he is. Uh, and that might sound like it's going to be a sermon on the spirit, but um, I want to start there um, to help us to understand the connection between word and spirit. Um, if you get a chance, do listen to uh, Richard's sermon this morning. And I think it will complement very much, hopefully, what is said today, this evening. And the other thing I want to say by sort of preamble is that I'm not saying everything there is to know about the spirit from the Bible today. So if it's concentrated on that area and you think, oh, Eddie's not touched that, that, and that, that's because it's, we're talking about the interplay between word and spirit. So this isn't everything about the spirit. Okay? I think it's important to say, because somebody at the end will probably come and say, we well, didn't say anything about this. Well, it's because I'm not talking about that. <laughs> that makes sense. That happens all the time, you know, as a preacher. People will say, we didn't mention that. Well, I, I didn't mention it. <laughs> um, okay. This is more of a, a thematic uh, approach. But who is the Holy Spirit? Let's start there. Who is the Holy Spirit? Three things uh, to think about. The first is personal. Personal. The Holy Spirit is referred not as an it, not as an energy or a force, but as a he or him. You see that very clearly in verse 17. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So it's, and you see that all through this section, <coughs> um, the use of him or, uh, rather, or his. Now that means you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can outrage the Holy Spirit. You can love the Holy Spirit. An impersonal force or energy cannot do those things. Okay. Uh, so he's personal. Remember that. Now, secondly, he's God. So I'm sure some of these were all um, heard before. He, he's God. We've affirmed it even in the song that we sang at the beginning. Verse 16. And I, that's Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you an another, another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Notice here the word another. Um, very important, the word another here. Jesus claimed to be God. I can't unpack that, why that is the case. He claimed to be God, to be equal with God. Therefore, when Jesus says, sends, says here, I'm sending another counsellor, well, first he's implying that he himself is a counsellor, isn't he? And another one must mean that Jesus is a counsellor, okay? That's one thing to say. But also he's implying that the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit is a person and he is God. That leads us to the Trinity. And you're thinking, oh no. (laughs) Don't worry. We're not going to go into the Trinity too much. Jesus, in John 14, is telling the disciples... Um, he's going away. You see that right at the beginning in, in verse 2 and in verse 16. Now he's telling them that the Holy Spirit is coming. And then down in verse 21, if you look at it, he says, 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And again in verse 23, my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Uh, We will come to you. I'm going away. The Holy Spirit is coming, and therefore I'm coming. It it sounds quite sort of confusing, but hopefully you get a sense of what it is he's saying. He's saying he's coming, and the Holy Spirit is coming. He's not the same as the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and he is coming. It's one of those conundrums about the Trinity. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not a force an impersonal energy like electricity. And I think this is really f- important for us to, to, to understand because sometimes we treat him as if he is. He's a divine person who should be at the very middle and centre of our lives for these reasons of what um, we've said about the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a joy it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What a joy, what a privilege, what an immense uh, thing that is just to think about. And I hope that we're praying for that for ourselves. But how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? If we think of him as an energy, if you take that idea of him being an energy or a force or an under, uh, uh, it will lead you into an understanding of seeking to be filled um, in a rather different way than if you understand him as being filled with a person, uh, with a personal divine spirit. (coughs) If you think about it like this, an impersonal force means that we will seek to be filled, I think, in a more mechanistic way, a mechanical way, by trying, you know, pull the levers, push the buttons, trying to, uh, rather akin, I think, more to a kind of Eastern uh, meditation than what we have in the Bible. You'll try to empty your mind to be filled with the energy instead. Um, And what you're trying to do is empty your mind of thoughts. We might even say empty our minds of words, mightn't we? When you get the Bible, we do see the word meditation come up. We see it all the way through the Psalms. But if you look at the Psalms, um, Christian meditation isn't the emptying of your mind. It is the filling your mind with words. With the word of God. The Psalms are all full of that. Look at Psalm 1, 119, 19. It's a completely different approach. If you think of the spirit as an it, um, you will fall into that kind of mechanistic, mystical approach. If you think of the spirit as a he or as a person who speaks, because a person speaks, doesn't they, with words, um, he will fill you with his word. An awful lot of Christians fall into the trap of reading the Bible and what it says about being filled with the Spirit and sort of see it in a kind of electrical charge. 
That doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you won't have necessarily experiences and feelings as a consequence, but that's not necessarily the thing itself. Okay? We can so easily think of um, the way to be filled with the Spirit is by kind of pushing the right buttons. You pray in a certain way, you do certain things, you play certain music in a certain key, um, you abstain from this or you abstain from that, you get yourself in some kind of good condition and approach it in that way, and now I'm ready to be filled with it. No, the Spirit is a person then to be filled with the Spirit is like being filled with a person. What would it be like to be filled with a person? We've sort of already begun to think about that. Think about the experience, I suppose, of meeting somebody very, very important. This might be helpful. Think of meeting somebody very, very important. When I thought about this earlier today, I was thinking about the experience um, that we had when, um, I know it's not that important, this person, when our the accountant, the farm accountant, came to the farm and stayed with us. And we were only young at the time. <clears throat> but the accountant came and uh, to stay with us. And our whole world was affected uh, by this. Um, because he was down south and we were in Scotland, um, he had to stay. And so the house had to look immaculate, uh, <laughs> Um, the flowers suddenly went up that we'd never seen before. <laughs> the dusting was done. My parents uh, gave their room up, their room up, and they had a, a vanity set in it, which was the thing in those days, to have a vanity set. Just a, it's just a, a wash basin. It wasn't en suite. But we, she, they gave up their room so that uh, this uh, accountant could come and stay. Um, and then, of course, we had the drill. Mind your P's and Q's, do this, don't do that. You know, be on your guard, make sure you wash behind your ears, and all that sort of stuff. And, and of course, when he arrived, we were like, we hung on every word. And that sounds strange, to hang on the word of an accountant. Sorry, <laughs> Philip. But <laughs> it, it was so built up as this thing. That was, and I'm sure you've got those kind of experiences in your own life. Now, what does this mean? You can talk to me afterwards, Philip. What does this mean? It means that to be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious personal presence of of whom lives permanently within the walls of your life. I'll say that again because it's quite a... It means that to be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed, your home transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious personal presence of him who lives permanently within you, the walls of your life. It's transforming. I I find this, this really helpful because whenever I've been in those situations where I've been tempted to sin and, and do something that's wrong or I'm doing something that's, that's wrong, the thing that stops me from doing it or the thing that will change me is to think that the Holy Spirit is a person there with me, in me. What would he think? You know, it, it just changes your mindset. It, I find that really helpful. 
What will he say? Will it grieve him? What if I take him into this situation of tomorrow where I am at work, wherever it might be, in my home? If you're a Christian here tonight, do you know who is living within you? Not a spiritual force like electricity, but God himself, the third person of the Trinity, another counsellor. This is not just some electrical shock treatment. You kind of get zapped. This is a person who's there to talk with you, to reason with you, to help you with the life and its ups and downs so that you can live a life of integrity. And how does he do that? He does that primarily through his words. It means hanging on his words. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, of course, there's lots of things the Holy Spirit does. And we're not going to talk about all of them. But I want to draw out one specific thing um, here in the text, in verse 17. It refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. This means at one level, the Spirit is the author of the Bible. We've talked about that previously in 2 Timothy 3.16. And scriptures, all scriptures, God breathed. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's ex, expiated from him. The interplay with being filled with the Spirit and God's Word can be seen right across the Bible, especially in the New Testament. I'll give you one little example of it here. You can look at this later. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to give us traits about what that means to be filled by the Spirit. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And then proceeds to give us exactly the same traits as Ephesians 5. Do you see what's going on? There's almost like an interchanging of those two things. Paul is using spirit and word actually interchangeably to say something very much the same. If you're seeking to be filled with the Spirit, and I hope you are, you'll be seeking to be filled with the Word, and vice versa. There's a dynamic between them. To be saturated in the Word is to be saturated by the Spirit. Look at verse um, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, that's the the Word, isn't it? He is the one who loves me. He... Who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. What does it mean to show himself to him? It means the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, I haven't bored you enough with Jonathan Edwards from the 18th century, um, likened the interplay between word and spirit as like gaining a new sense, the spirit, like, like the taste of honey. Um, imagine a man who's never tasted honey. He can look at it and feel it and think that he has a pretty good idea how it's going to taste. But once he actually tastes it, he realizes the enormous difference between what he imagines and what he has tasted. And I, only the Holy Spirit can do that. He brings the Word of God alive to you so that you're tasting it. He makes it live in you. It it makes it vivid to you. It makes it powerful to you. It makes it life-changing to you. I mean, 
um, Richard mentioned this this morning. You know, there are times when you read the same passage and you've read it a million times, and then one day you're reading it and you go, bang, that verse, just, wow, I've, I've read that verse a million times, but it's somehow it's speaking to me, and you don't know quite why or how, but it's, it's obviously the Spirit. Back to the idea of spirit giving us truth. You see that in verse 17, but you see that in verse 17, but just take a moment to look at um, chapter 16, which we had read, and verse 13. It says a little bit more here. It says here, but when he, there's the he again, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, sorry to get analytical here, but there is a missing definite article. And a definite article is the word the. And it's really unhelpful in the NRV. You don't get it in most of the other translations. What it literally says is, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. It's actually very important, the the. Why is this important? It's important because he's talking about a set body of teaching, a set but set of beliefs that have a boundary to it. Just as he said back in chapter 14 that we had read in verse 25, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is speaking to, remember the apostles, speaking to the disciples that go on to be the apostles There are some things I am teaching you now, but when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come to you and he will lead you into the body of truth, set of doctrines, whatever you want to call it, a set of truth, of beliefs, not just part of it. Now, why is this important? Well, if you're missing the definite article out, you see how different the meaning is. Um, you, You get that the Holy Spirit will come and give you all truth, all the truth. Everything there is to know, it can't mean that, can it? Everything, all of the truth that there's possible. Or you finish up concluding the Holy Spirit will be constantly be drawing Jesus' followers into more and more truth, so that truth becomes an evolution. It changes over time, or it gets, it's somehow being added to kind of sense. But that's not what the text says. The text teaches the exact opposite of those things. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will come and give you, apostles, all the truth. A set of teaching and beliefs that has a boundary to it. Now this makes the apostles' teaching authoritative. Okay, In a way like, like nothing else. For it is the work of the Holy Spirit... Do you realise that's what you affirm every time you say the Nicene Creed? That is what it says. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who has spoken through the prophets, inspired the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, that's universal church, and apostolic church. We say it every week. Well, we should do. We sometimes don't. We should. Which gave... So, the apostolic church, the church is built on the teachings of the apostles, which gave us the written accounts that we receive in the New Testament. So, if you at home have a red letter Bible, 
I would suggest you get a different one. I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> I mean, they're good for highlighting Jesus' word, but it doesn't, that's not really works against what we're saying here. Jesus, um, I would I'd just get a different one, because the idea that Jesus' words in red are somehow more important than the apostolic words flies in the face of this text. Paul, as an apostle, understood this when he said in if 1 Corinthians 2.13, he said something similar. He said, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. When the apostles died, um, how did the church put the Bible together? What we have here. Think about that for a moment. I mean, there were a lot of letters around. There were a lot of inspired um, teaching around. But there was a number one test of all of them was apostolic... I can't say the word. Apostolicity. (laughs) Well, it was from the apostles there. That's easier to say. They had to be written by the apostles or by one of their very, very close associates... They recognized the apostolic teaching was part of the truth that was coming to us through Jesus as the Holy Spirit led them into all the truth, as it talks about here. It was a body of teaching. A body of teaching about what? About Jesus and about salvation and how he saves us. This is very important. Now, it doesn't mean to say that the Spirit is not at work in through us and in us in different ways. That's not what it's trying to say. But there is a uniqueness about the apostolic authority of the word of God. It's actually very, very important. What are the consequences of that? It means we're not at liberty to either add or to subtract from Scripture. Adding to Scripture is to make out that God has given us, has not given us um, Uh, enough to reveal his salvation plan to us. Okay? And to take away from scriptures to say that there is a whole bunch of parts that I can't accept, that I just wouldn't accept. But let's think firstly how, um, towards the end, how we add to scripture. There have been scores of churches and sects and Religions who have come along and said something like this. The Bible, yes, it's wonderful. However, our leader has received new revelation from God without which you cannot understand the rest of the Bible. Now watch out for that. It's nonsensical. Would Jesus, think about it, say to his apostles, I give you all the truth except the very important piece of information I'm going to give thousands of years from now which none of the rest of the stuff will make any sense. The authority and supremacy of the scripture guards you against me. I mean that truthfully. (laughs) Against any leader who comes along and claims some fresh revelation that is on a level with scripture, you must check it out. That's why we say, that's the reason I say to you at the start of a sermon, please have your Bibles open in front of you. Just for you to check. The one I'm saying is what it says here. 
Don't take my word for it. Look at the scriptures. I'm not putting myself above these. It could be because I, I want to exert some power over you. It could be very destructive if you think about it. It can happen on a personal level. You've heard those stories. God has revealed to me that we should get married. (laughs) You know those kind of stories? It can happen in the church level though, can't it? We must do this. God has told me to do this or that. God has told me that you should give me your money. Well, it's funny but it's extreme, that is what can happen. Now I've lost my place. No. I suppose, as a, as a pastor teacher, really, I have nothing new to tell you. I have nothing new to tell you that hasn't been said a million times. At least I, that's my prayer. As a pastor teacher, I'm just in the business of reminding you of old things in the scripture. Leading you into those. Whatever you do, please do not make um, me into some kind of guru. I don't think that's likely. <laughs> but who you hang off the word, you know, off every word of me. Hang off every word of this. As if I have some sort of special hotline that's somehow better than your hotline to God. The Bible is the only word of God. Of course, there are other ways to add scripture. Um, We haven't got time to mention them only briefly. Through our traditions, we can add. Through our music, through our liturgy. The ways that we've always done it at St. John's. Um, they can take over as an authoritative. There's nothing wrong with tradition in the right place, but it mustn't be unquestionable, it mustn't be unassailable that trumps the truthfulness of Scripture. You see what's happening. Scripture becomes the spirit level, the spirit level by which we measure if something is straight and right for us from the Spirit of God. How about subtracting? the scriptures well we haven't got time but I did talk about it a couple of weeks ago Um, we come along don't we and say well it was written in a primitive people by a primitive people thousands of years ago we don't need to apply it now they didn't know any better etc etc if just to say if you say that you've got to understand that every generation has certain problems with certain parts of the scripture because we're all scripturally, we're all, sorry, culturally bound. If you think we're all in a, in a culture, a time, where we'll find different things that are difficult in the scriptures. But bear in mind this. In a hundred years' time, when your great-great-grandchildren read your tweets and your blogs and your YouTubes, they're going to say the same things about you. Weren't they primitive? Weren't they naive a hundred years ago? It's called chronological snobbery is the posh word. Don't be so arrogant to say, well, they were stupid back then, but now we're wiser and so much better. Because watch out, it'll be said of you and me. I guarantee it. 
If you find yourself subtracting from the Bible, it's because you have committed yourself through faith, not a faith of God, to some other standard by which you hold to be infallible through which you're reading the scriptures. Something else is coming in on top of the scriptures as authoritative. We're not permitted to subtract things from scripture. Why? Because Jesus says, I've given it to you, all the truth through the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. It's a set of teachings, beliefs, doctrines by which we know salvation and life. That doesn't mean to say we stop questioning. We keep questioning, we keep asking questions, but question everything against the Bible. Don't add the scripture, don't subtract. The Holy Spirit has given it to us through the apostles, through the prophets. It's unique, it's supreme, it's authoritative in all matters of life and doctrine. God gives us the truth. God gives us all the truth as the Holy Spirit guides the apostles. That's a revelation that is the revelation that is like no other. Unique and sufficient. Shall we take a moment to pray? I'm conscious that we've talked a lot um, about some quite difficult doctrines and beliefs and there's a lot to take in. Um, let's just bring our thoughts to God now. There may be areas where we're tempted to add to Scripture. There may be things that we're uh, tempted to subtract from it. Things that we find hard. Things that we'd like to be there, but are not. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray that you'll fill us with your word, that you would dwell in us richly. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that it may dwell in us richly. Father, we pray that you will help us to come under the authority of Scripture as the supreme authority in our lives. And Father, for the parts that we find difficult, that we struggle with, we pray that we will um, grapple with it and your Holy Spirit will help us to understand it and to go deeper into it, that we may be changed and transformed by him who dwells within us, who's taken up home in us. Father, we commit to this and pray that you would be at work in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.